Oh, let's praise him together, shall we? Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, we magnify you. God, we praise you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Brother Morton, for the opportunity and the invitation to be here. We so deeply appreciate it, and we love you so very, very much. Several years ago, when my wife and I were evangelizing, we were passing through West Texas, and we came to a little town called Stanton, Texas. And in Stanton, Texas, off of the interstate, there's a huge billboard. And it says these words, Welcome to Stanton, Texas, the home of 3,000 smiling faces and a few old sore heads. And so I want to say it's good to see all of you smiling faces. And if there's any sore heads here, we're glad you're here too. We're going to have church in the remainder of this service, and I'm excited about what God has already done and what He is yet going to do. Even though I was raised in California, I am now a Mississippian, and the state of Mississippi is the most religious state of the Union. It is also the most giving state per capita Mississippians give more than any other place in America. But what we're really famous for is we are number one in the United States for obesity. So if you don't like what you see, I'm just a product of my environment. But as Brother Morton said, I'm originally from Southern California, born and raised in San Bernardino. And my mother, I talked to her the other day, and uh, she could not be here. But I ran into somebody who knew me before I was born, and that's Sister Edna. It used to be Hoffman. I think it's uh, Buxton now. But Sister Edna was our assistant pastor's wife, and uh, she was telling me last night, I believe it was, that uh, my mother had started visiting church when she was carrying me in her womb, and uh, so she felt led of God one day to go visit with her, and she got up and got ready, and my pastor's wife called her and said, how would you like to go see Rosemary Johnson with me? And she said, man, I'd love to. I feel like the Lord's laid her on my heart. They went to see her and talked to her about uh, the Holy Ghost and getting in church and things of that nature. And uh, she said, I do want the Holy Ghost, but I don't want to be a holy roller. God touched her heart, and Sister Edna told me last night, when God baptized her with the Holy Ghost, she rolled all over the front of the church, back and forth. God made a holy roller out of her. 
And God can still make holy rollers out of folks if they let him fill them with the Holy Ghost. And so uh, it was so good to see Sister Edna. Also, I saw some folks from the old San Bernardino days. I saw Russell Frazier and his wife. Russell came before he ever got the Holy Ghost visiting his grandparents who went to our church. He spent the night with my brothers and myself. My dad had put a tent in the backyard, so we went camping. And he, in the middle of the night, I'd never heard anybody talk in their sleep in my life. He started talking in his sleep and like that scared me to death. But I sure am glad God filled him with the Holy Ghost and put his touch on his life. And then um, Brother Freddie Jimenez and his wife, I saw them, and he used to be a part of our church. Then he moved on to um, the downtown apostolic church with Brother Reese. And then I saw Brother Reese's son, Brother Vaughn Reese here, and his mother was with me when I was eight years old and prayed me through the Holy Ghost in 1972. My mother and, and Sister Reese prayed me through the Holy Ghost. So God has been good to me in San Bernardino, and I appreciate all that he put into my life while I was there. And um, so I am an original Californian. And uh, Brother Morton has been good to me and my family, and we appreciate the opportunity to be here today. And I want to share something that I feel like God would have me to share. But I want to say Brother Morton was a friend to my wife and family. When we were evangelizing, uh, he had us come to Fresno a time or two. And then he, he told me, he said, Brother Johnson, if you ever have a cancellation or something uh, works out and you don't have a place to go, please call me. He said, I may not be able to use you every time. I may have something going on. But if I can, I'd love to just use you. And a time or two that happened, and he had me come by Fresno. And he's just been such a friend to my wife and I and Sierra, and we appreciate him. And I remember when Brother Morton would come to San Bernardino, I guess the first time that I remember him was in the late 60s and early 70s coming to San Bernardino and preaching. Whenever Pastor Davis would announce he was coming, everybody would get excited. They knew we were fixing to have some church in San Bernardino and a great revival. And so that's where I first remember him. And he always did a tremendous job. And then he came and preached some anniversary services, some meetings through the years. And one time especially, our church had went through a terrible time. And God used him and he preached a powerful message called a revival of joy and transformed our church and God used him in a mighty way. I'll never forget one night he was preaching at our church. I don't know if you could do this today, but he got excited. The Holy Ghost was on him and he said, my God, I, ju I just feel, I feel a hair pulling spirit. And he jumped off the platform and Brother Hewlett, a man in our church who used to wear a crew cut, but he finally grew it out and had a nice pompadour sitting there on the front row. Brother Morton went over to him and just messed his hair all up. The man didn't get a bad spirit and we had a Holy Ghost church. 
And uh, I'll never forget him preaching about Jehu. And if you've never heard him preach about Jehu, you need to allow him to do that sometime and demonstrate uh, all of that. But anyway, Brother Morton, thank you for the opportunity to be here. We love you. Our family loves you, and we appreciate you. And this man has been one of the most consistent men of God that I've ever known in my life. And he's had a tremendous impact on Pentecost, and we deeply appreciate him. Would you stand with me, and we'll prepare to go to the Word of the Lord. I'd like to turn your attention this morning to the book of 2 Corinthians. Chapter number 7, and I'd like to begin reading with verse 8. While you're turning there, I want to say to all of the preachers who's preached, who have preached in this meeting so far, Brother Wesley Jackson, what a powerful message he preached. Brother Townley, yesterday and today, he ministered to me and to everybody here in such a wonderful way. Brother Dunlap, uh, talking to us about the importance of sacred things. That was There were so many wonderful things he touched on. And I appreciated that. Brother Jackson last night, man, what a, what a time we had in the house last night. And then tonight we'll top it off uh, with Brother Lackey, and uh, we'll look forward to a great time in the Holy Ghost. Good to have my family with me. We're glad they're here. I teased them right before I came up to the platform, and I told them I was going to need them to sing, and they had just about uh, decided uh, that I might not get up here if I tried to do that. But I'm glad they're here. And all of you pastors that have preached me in years gone by, we thank you for that. Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord. Would you, would you give me the next little while? And let's just flow in the Holy Ghost. I believe God wants to do something inside of us before we leave here. How many of you would be willing to let the Holy Ghost do something in the remainder of this service? Praise God. I'm reading from 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, and I'm beginning with verse number 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter... I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, Yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, 
in all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Would you do me a favor now? Just put your Bible down. Close your eyes. Lift your face to the Lord and your hands to heaven. And let's just worship God. And then let's ask God to anoint the remainder of this service. Would you do that with me right now? Clap your hands to the Lord. Lord, anoint me to preach. Anoint everybody to be in this To receive the word of God. Have your way in the name of Jesus. Uh, hallelujah. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. The book of 1 Corinthians is a scathing rebuke from the pen of the Apostle Paul to a church that had grown spiritually cold, carnal, and calloused. Nevertheless, the church at Corinth, when they received the letter from the Apostle Paul, responded correctly and repented of their wrongs. And they experienced a spiritual renewal in the sight of God. The Apostle Paul later heard of their revival. And so he writes to them the second epistle to the Corinthians. And expresses to them that when they experienced a renewed spiritual awakening... They manifested several new attitudes, characteristics, or what I would call spirits. Therefore, today, for the next little while, I want to preach to you about the seven spirits of revival. Most of you who have studied the books of First and Second Corinthians understand that while the Corinth church was the most gifted church in the New Testament, it was also the most carnal, the most worldly. They had gotten to a point that they had become tolerant of gross immorality. In fact, there was a man in their church who had an incestuous relationship with his stepmother. And the church did nothing about it. As it were, they threw their arms of fellowship and compassion about him. But the apostle very sharply rebuked them. And in no uncertain terms, he said, when you gather together, Though I am absent in body, my spirit is going to be there. And I'm going to turn that man over to Satan. That his body might be destroyed in hopes that his spirit might be saved. And he said, when you are gathered together, I want you to remove that wicked person from your midst. When this church, the church at Corinth, received this scathing rebuke, 
something happened. It was like the Word of God sliced them deep in their spirit and cut their heart in half, and it began to bleed. When that happened, no doubt a fresh desire to get right with God, both individually and as a church, began to arise from within their innermost beings. It's as if their eyes filled with hot, wet tears. They began to stream down their faces and they found a place to pray and cry out to God and they wept their way back to a fresh experience in the Holy Ghost. And when the Apostle Paul heard from Titus about what had happened in response to his first letter, he writes to them, the Apostle Paul writes to them in 2 Corinthians, in the passage that I read in your hearing, and he basically says, I hated to write the words that I had to write to you, but I do not repent. I'm not sorry for what I said, even though I was sorry at the time. Because you sorrowed to repentance. In godly sorrow, you turned from your sin and you got right with God. And when that happened, there's been some change that has been wrought in you. And he said, oh, what carefulness. It wrought in you. What clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things, you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. By so saying, the Apostle Paul made it clear. The Corinthian church experienced a real revival that got way down deep inside of them. And when they experienced this revival, there were some things that broke out of that revival. Some new attitudes, some new spirits, some new characteristics. And that's what I want to preach to you today. I want to tell you that when real revival happens... There's some changes that happen way down deep on the inside of us. And they start being manifested in the way we act and talk and live and operate in our lives. And the first spirit is the spirit of carefulness. You see, before revival ever happens, there is a carelessness that happens in the lives and hearts of people. And uh, they're not careful with what they read. They're not careful with what they look at. They're not careful with what they listen to. They're not careful with what they say. Uh, They just do whatever comes to their mind. But friend, when revival breaks out, something happens way down deep inside uh, and people throw away that careless attitude uh, and a spirit gets in them uh, that says, I've got to be careful with the way I operate, with what I look at, with what I say, uh, 
and how I live. I'll never forget my pastor after I was a young preacher. I preached at Brother Reese's church there in downtown San Bernardino. And uh, they had a big youth rally and I preached and, and uh, the Lord anointed me and we had good church. The next day I went by the church to pick something up and uh, the assistant pastor was there and he complimented me about my message and I thanked him about that time my pastor walked in into the administrative office. He said, yeah, Brother Jimmy, that, that, that was good. He said, by the way, can you step into my office? So I stepped into the office there with my pastor, and he said, yeah, that was a good message. He said, I could tell you studied well, and you preached good, and he said, did a lot of good, but he said, there's a couple things I want to talk to you about. I said, all right. He said, first of all, I noticed you said hallelujah several times, and I want to know, did you mean that, or were you just using those as filler words? I said, no, pastor, I meant it. I was excited. I was giving praise to God. He said, well, that's okay then. Because he said, I can't stand to hear a young preacher say, praise God, glory to God, hallelujah, amen, and to have nothing to say. And he said, I don't want you to be one of those preachers like that. I said, yes, sir. Then he said, he said, another thing, he said, in your message last night when you were talking in Acts 12 about, about uh, Peter, being delivered from the prison cell and how the angel came and delivered him. He said, son, you said something. I don't know if you realize it, but you said God turned to the angel and said, hey, angel, go deliver my servant. He said, brother Jimmy, the Bible doesn't say that. God never said hey. He said God doesn't say hey. God doesn't say hey. He said, son, let me tell you something. Whenever you say God said something, he better have said it. It better be in that book. He said, now, if you would have said, I could imagine God saying it, that's different. But you didn't say that. You said God said it. He said, son, you be careful about that. Don't you say God said something if he didn't say it. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Then he said, by the way, do you have a girlfriend in this church? I said, no, sir. This is good preaching. No, sir. You know, uh. There wasn't no pretty ones at that time in San Bernardino. I had to go to Mississippi to find one, praise God. Thank God you didn't come to Fresno. <laughs> anyway, anyway, but I want to tell you something. Uh, he started telling me who I could date. Man, I, I don't know. The world we live in today, people don't want preachers telling them stuff like that. I'm going to tell you, my pastor loved me. He didn't want to see me ruin my life. And by the way, I didn't marry the woman I'm with that I've been with for over 25 years until I got his blessing. He 
took us out to eat when we were dating and he wrote on the back of the receipt as he folded, he said, I put down here, I dine today with Reverend and Mrs. James Johnson. Well, he was a prophet. But when he said that, I, I said, Pastor Bishop, you, you didn't do that, did you? You're kidding. And he opened it up and showed me. That was all I needed to know to move forward. And thank God, God gave me a good wife. Somebody my pastor believed in and approved Hear of. Now. But what I want to tell you is that day, he, he, he gave me an education. He told me about what happened when he was in the Navy. Raised by good Baptist parents. And I won't be crude and rude here today. But my, my elder didn't mince his words. The bottom line was, uh, he said when I was in the Navy, the, 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 the ship captain told us we're going to go to some of these ports in the Orient and there's all kinds of diseases. Uh, if you boys want to mess your life up, you do what you will. But he said, if you get some of these diseases, you won't get back on this ship. And he said, I, I use good sense. He said, there were women of ill repute when I, he was backslid, went into a bar, and they tried to sit on my lap even without the Holy Ghost. Uh, he said, I threw their arms off of me, uh, and I pushed them away. And he said, son, let me tell you something. As a young man, uh, if you date some girl and they start putting their hands on you, you throw their hands off uh, and you send them home and you tell them, no thanks, I'm not interested. Now, now when my, when my pastor got through with me, I stumbled out of that office Boy, I thought he was really going to be proud of me, but he straightened me out. He cleaned my clock. I'm telling you, he did it so good, I was afraid to even look at a girl. Man, he put the spirit of fear on me. But I'm going to tell you, there's some young men uh, and there's some young ladies that I, were that I was raised with uh, that messed up their life. Uh, but thank God for a pastor who yeah. said, son, you better learn uh, to be careful in your life uh, with what you say uh, and how you act uh, and how you conduct yourself. Hey, the first thing that comes uh, with revival is a spirit of carefulness. Uh, hey, let's be careful with how we conduct ourselves, uh, how we talk, how we act, how we live, what we read, what we put into our spirits and our minds. The second spirit is a spirit of clearing. Fifteen years ago, in the state of North Carolina, Hurricane Floyd swept through the state. September of 1999. A friend of mine who pastored there asked me to come by and see the devastation that happened to his church. And I, I went by the church with him and I preached in that sanctuary when I went in there. The putrid smell of rotting fish met my nostrils. There was mud and wet carpet filled with debris everywhere. The pews from the force of the water that rushed through that building had slammed them up from their anchors in different place, places of the sanctuary. There was a water 
lying on the sides of the sheetrock about four or five feet high on the walls. It looked like a war zone. But a few months later, I went back. And the men of that church had went in there and took out the pews and thrown them into the dump. And all the furniture, they had ripped off the sheetrock. They had cleared up the debris. And they aired it out so that all the timber would dry. And they salvaged that building as far as I know to this day. But sometimes sin ravages through our lives. Oh, yeah. And it leaves mess in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes, in our families. We got a decision to make. Are we going to leave things as they are? Are we going to have the courage to go back uh, and say, whatever I got to do, I got to clear this mess up? We need a spirit of clearing to get on us. Some folks fight and fuss uh, with one another in the church uh, and then just expect to shout and dance uh, over all that mess. Every now and then, you got to allow a spirit of clearing to come on you and you need to go see that brother, that sister, and say, hey, what I said was wrong. What I did was wrong. Would you forgive me? And sometimes you got to do it with your family. i got a precious daughter. She's here today. I tried to raise her right, and she's a good girl, never giving me an ounce of trouble. I'm proud of her. But I've only got one child, and it's a girl. I don't know what the boys are like. But I'm a guy, so I think like a guy. And there's been a time or two when I laid the correction out. I'm not talking about physical spanking, but the words that I use. They weren't bad words, but they were harsh words. They were strong words. And I saw that it didn't just correct her, but it was doing something to her spirit. And tears filled her eyes. And you know what I did? I went back to her after I thought about it. And I said, sweetheart, daddy loves you. And I'm not taking back what I said. What I said was right. But the way I did it might have been too harsh, and I want you to forgive me. You may look at me and say, well, you little baby, you, you little sissy, you call me what you will, but thank God I've got a good relationship with my family, and that's what's important to me. Hey, Daddy, hey, Mama, hey, kids, sometimes there needs to be a good spirit of clearing that comes into the home and the family, and it'll make so much better. Years ago, I know Brother Morton probably remembers, but T.G. McNeely preached uh, a camp meeting in Santa Maria, California, I think two years in a row. And one of those years he preached a phenomenal message, and it was called, uh, it was so good I forgot it. He preached trophies of hell, but he also preached uh, a message uh, about man's best friend, about the preacher being man's best friend. You remember that one? It was powerful. But he told a story in that message uh, about preaching in Texas at a youth camp. And he said, I, 
He preached at that camp and he said, kids were getting the Holy Ghost every night. People were praying through. It was awesome. But he said, he said, there was sitting in the back, there was a, a, a boy that never made a move. He sat on the back row. He put his arms, uh, uh, his hands on his arms, uh, and he never made a move for God. Brother McNeely said, I turned to the man over the camp, and I asked him, I said, Brother, that boy that's sitting in the very back, every night I preach, he's never made a move for God. What's, what's the deal? He said, oh, Brother McNeely, that's a, that's a sad story. He said, that, that's such a sad situation. That's a pastor's son. That's a pastor's son. He's full of the devil. He's caused all kinds of grief to his parents uh, and his family. And it's just a, it's a bad, 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 bad deal. And Brother McNeely said, I thought to myself, God, there is a preacher's son that's going to hell. God, help me to reach him. And he said, it was the last night of the camp. And he said, I preached my heart out. And when I got through preaching at the altar call, kids were running to the front, young people praying and repenting. God pouring out the Holy Ghost. That boy kept sitting in the back. And he said, a burden filled my heart. And he said, I kept begging and pleading. Come on, son. Pray. Cry out to God. God will change you. God will say. He said, I kept saying, God, help me to reach him. That is a preacher's boy. And he's going to be lost. And he said, I kept praying. And I kept begging God to help me. He said, I kept pleading. And you know, folks, every now and then, we can't just have a quick altar service. Every now and then, we got to beg. We got to plead. We got to reach. Because there are people that are lost that need God and he said directly all of a sudden the young man jumped up out of the back pew and he said he didn't walk he ran he ran down the middle aisle he did a belly flop into the altar he said I jumped off the platform and I began to pray with him he said he was full of the devil I cast out devils out of him and he said directly I laid my hands on his head and he staggered back under the power of God as God renewed him in the Holy Ghost and he began to Speak with tongues. He said the next morning the camp was over and the young man asked if he could say something to the camp and he apologized for his attitude. He apologized for his spirit. He went home and that Sunday morning, first time back home at his home church, he asked his daddy if he could say something. He grabbed the microphone and in front of everybody, Brother Morton, uh, he said, I want this church to forgive me for all the mess that I've caused my parents. Uh, Mama and Daddy, I'm asking you today, forgive me for my attitude. Forgive me for my rebellion. And he said, the church wept with him and they cried and there was a restoration and a reconciliation. That night they had awesome church. And after church that night, when they all went to bed, the young man woke up two or three in the morning. When he woke up, he had a terrific headache. And, and when he woke up with that headache, he went to his parents' room and told them. They said, well, just lay that back down. If you're not feeling better in an hour or so, we'll take you to the hospital. He was still feeling bad in an hour. They took him to the hospital. And when they got to the hospital, they put him into a room, admitted him. And a short while later, a brain aneurysm that he developed burst. He was ushered out 
into eternity. Brother McNeely said, after the camp, he didn't know all this had happened. He got a phone call on Tuesday from the principal of the youth camp. He said, Brother McNeely, do you remember that boy the last night that prayed through that preacher's son? He said, oh, I could never forget. Then he told him what I just told you. Brother McNeely said, as I hung up the phone, he said, I said to myself, thank God. Thank God I kept begging. Kate, thank God I kept pleading. Or tonight, there'd be a preacher's boy in hell. But what I wanted to mention about that story was when this boy really got an experience, he didn't try to push all that he had done to his parents under the rug and to his church, uh, but something got inside of him that said, I got to take care of this. Uh, I got to clear this up. Hey, folks, what about a real revival that takes us back to our families and our homes uh, and our church uh, and our pastor and gets it right? Oh, let's lift our hands and love God right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, help us to be careful. Help us to clear things up. The next spirit that happens with revival is a spirit of indignation. Now, for those of you who like Greek interpretation, let me tell you what that word means. It means when you get red in the face, like Brother Morton used to do when he was preaching hard. Red in the face. It's when that little artery on the side of your neck kind of bulges out. And your, your eyes get slits in them like a cat. And they start throwing darts out of them. It just means anger. It just means when you're upset. Good old-fashioned American anger, as it were. And so... That sounds kind of weird. How can revival and, and wrath go together? Paul said, when you got it right, indignation came. Not indignation with another brother. Not indignation at the world. But you got mad at yourself. You got mad at the things you had done and said. You got mad as it were about the devil and all the junk he's put into your life. You got mad about the spirit of the world all around you. Where is the spirit of indignation today? Some of us get more angry that our wife burnt the biscuits then we do that every day in America 4,000 babies are aborted. I mean, we'll get mad because we didn't get our choice of what restaurant to eat at. While there's a world going to hell in a handbasket, as it were, I'm trying to tell somebody, God wants us to get a spirit of indignation on us uh, that says devil, you're not going to take my family to hell. World, you're not going to have my kids. Flesh, I'm 
sick and tired of you dictating me to me what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you under. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, I preach my best sermons when I'm angry. And if you're a pastor in this church, auditorium or congregation, this auditorium in this convention center, you ought to know what I'm talking about. Because every now and then, if you're a man of God, something rises up in you and you say, we're not going to have this in our church. We're not going to do that around here. We're not going to talk like that around here. And a spirit of indignation gets on you. Pardon the personal reference, but it was my honor to be elected some 12 years ago to the, to the church that I pastor in Natchez, Mississippi. There was a lot of good people there. Can I just stop and say I pastored some of God's finest. Maybe I need to cover this. But I've also pastored some of the devil's worst. There's stuff in that Bible about goats for a reason. They really do exist. Can I tell you, after I'd been at the church for just a few months, just kind of getting my bearings, Nobody had prayed through. Nobody had the Holy had gotten a, uh, the Holy Ghost. No one gotten baptized. Just kind of getting my feet wet in the church, as it were. But Brother Morton, one day I got up to take the prayer request. It was a Sunday morning. We had a good crowd there. In fact, the circuit clerk of our county was there that morning. I was just doing the prayer requests, if I remember right. And all of a sudden, it hit me. That spirit of indignation, out of nowhere. And after I, after I did the prayer request, I gave a few announcements, and I was talking about prayer before church. And I just felt this lackadaisical attitude. Man, something got on me. It was either God or my old pastor's spirit got on me. Either way, it was good. And I looked at them, and all of a sudden, it rose up on the inside of me. And I said, folks, uh, we're not going to have revival around this church uh, unless we pray. I said, tonight, I want everybody in the prayer rooms. Uh, I want every man in this church to be in the prayer room. I want every lady in this church to be. we got to have revival in this place. And I said a few other things that I'm not going to repeat here. And after it lifted, I thought, my God, what's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen tonight? But when I pulled up into my parking space at the church and I opened the side door, I heard a sound that I had not heard in that church hitherto. And wafting out of the men's prayer room that was packed to capacity was the sound of men praying, crying out to God. 
Tears filled my eyes. You know, sometimes people just need a leader. People will do something if somebody will just step up to the plate and tell them what they need to do. Hey, pastor, don't be afraid. Stand up in the name of the Lord and declare the saith the word of God. And don't be afraid. And so, so it was. Spirit of prayer broke out. The ladies' prayer room, spirit of prayer broke out. Before 6.30 church started, so help me God, this truth, you can confirm it with my wife, my daughter. Before church ever started, we staggered out of the prayer rooms into the sanctuary. And before church ever started, three brand new men received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they're still with me today. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not promoting a bad attitude. I'm not promoting abuse to the saints of God. I'm against all that. But I am saying sometimes uh, you got to let a spirit of anger get on you about the devil and the spirits of hell and the world uh, and the lackadaisical spirits uh, that get on people. Hey, child of God, when's the last time you got mad at what the devil's been doing in your life? When's the last time you got mad at what the world was trying to put on you? When revival breaks out, something of indignation happens. And something on the inside says, I can't put up with this. I've got to have revival. The next spirit is a spirit of fear as I hurry on. Now I'm not talking about the the kind of fear you know when you put your kids to bed they say daddy, mama, check in the closet before you leave. And you do that and they say now look under the bed. Now look under the dresser. Make sure the boogeyman's not there. We're not talking about that kind of fear. We're talking about a reverence Toward God. That he is a holy God. And he judges mankind righteously. Paul said to the Corinthian church. When you repented. When you got back where you needed to be. There was a spirit of fear. I want everybody to listen to me for just a moment. Know what I'm talking about. Pastored a good while. I've evangelized seven years. I've been in a good church, was raised in a good church. Fear is part of revival. You can't shout all the time over everything. And I believe in shouting. Back just a month ago, I blew a flat tire out shouting in our church. Evangelist said something good, and I forgot I was 50. And I ran and turned the corner, and when I did, I blew a flat tire. And if you need more information on that, uh, I'll talk to you at the church. But I had to go see the doctor, and I, I limped back to the platform. But I'm talking about a spirit of fear. 
Oh, how we need it back in Pentecost. We can talk about the revivals that Brother Bean used to have, but I want to tell you there's a spirit of fear in those revivals. You don't have hundreds of people praying through without something gripping people and conviction. And I'll never forget one when I was still in my home church. I was about 16, 17 years old. Our pastor announced that we would be having a three-week revival. And he announced who the preacher was, and we never had the preacher before. And so the first night of the revival, the choir sang, man, we were having what appeared to be good church. And then after the choir finished singing, my, my pastor introduced the preacher, the evangelist, and he got up to preach. And he was preaching out of John 4 about the woman at the well. And Jesus said, Say not ye there are yet four months, then cometh the harvest when the disciples came back with food. And man, he was preaching a nice little sermon to right then. I mean, it was sweet, it was nice, about 15 minutes worth. And when he hit that part about Jesus saying, Say not ye there are yet four months, then cometh the harvest. All of a sudden, he stopped. The choir, I guess, was still on the platform. And he turned to him, And this is what he said. I mean, he got a mean-looking face on him when he said it, too. He said, stinking spirit of procrastination. I smelled it all over some of you in the choir. Then he started speaking in tongues, a real growly type. And he jumped off the platform. Everybody's eyes got big as saucers. They were looking at this crazy man, as it were. Had not seen nothing like that. And he started speaking. He said, when God speaks to me, nobody, nobody do you hear me? Stops me. Something like that. So he, I was sitting on the front row and he walked started walking down one of those middle roads. Well, me and my friends turned around to see what he was going to do. And he was already about seven rows up, looking straight ahead. He said, you boys on the front row, turn your heads around and look straight ahead. Well, we did. Then he walked over to the middle part of our church, and he stuck his finger in the face of of a man who didn't attend our church, but his wife did. And said, Sir, you have grieved God. Now you may say, how do you know who he was pointing out? Word gets around after church. <laughs> Sounds like I got some Pentecostals in this house. And he stuck that finger in his face. Sir, you grieve. And I want to tell you what happened. I was there. I heard the clamoring of feet. That sinner man climbed over the pews. Not out the door, but to 
toward the altar. And he ran, cried out to God. And next thing I know, all 400 of the rest of us were there too. I guess the rest of the church wasn't waiting for his, the evangelist's next victim. Now, here's what I want to tell you. It didn't take three weeks. It didn't take two weeks. It didn't take two services. In one service, uh, with a move of the Holy Ghost uh, and the spirit of fear gripping the church, uh, there was a revival that broke out in 15 to 20 minutes of church. You know what we need? We need a fresh baptism of a spirit of reverence about a real move of God. What about the real gifts of the Spirit operating? What about ministry moving in the Holy Ghost? What about a fresh revelation that a man of God might be a man, but he's still of God? I heard Marty Ballestero preach the other day, and he said, when his dad was still living, he was a little boy, and his dad was pastoring. He said, he asked one of the men to do some sweep up after a project they were doing. Asked him if he'd sweep up the trash. The man replied, what trash? The only trash around here is the one that stands behind that pulpit every week. And as soon as he said it, Brother Ballestero said, God struck him. He was paralyzed. He couldn't move. They had to, some other men had to carry him into in, the uh, car and take him to the hospital. You know what he did when he could talk? He called for Carl Ballestero. And he asked God to forgive him. He asked the man of God to, hey, where's the spirit of fear in our churches anymore? Hey, that preacher's more than just a hireling. He's a man that's going to get you to heaven. He's worth a little respect. He's worth a little honor. In fact, the Bible said double honor. Kids, what about respecting your mom and dad as authorities in your life? Church family, what about respecting other saints of God as God's property and not somebody to fool with and somebody to gossip about and somebody to tear down? Oh, let a spirit of apostolic fear and reverence grip our hearts. The next spirit as I hasten on is not desire but Vehement desire. The word vehement means boiling, ardent, fervent. I don't know if you've ever been to a steel factory when they bring that iron, making it into steel. It's white hot. It glows white hot with a little orange on the edges. Paul said... When you experienced 
your breakthrough and you came to God and got what you needed and you got a fresh revival going as it were in your life, something happened inside of you. And you didn't just get desire, you got vehement desire. Red hot, white hot desire that began to burn on the inside. I pastor, I've had the privilege of pastoring new people through the years. We have church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and prayer meeting Monday night. The new converts say, Pastor, why can't we have church every night? The old seasoned saints like it the way it is. And some of them are good as gold. But what I'm trying to tell you is when somebody's got a fresh touch of God on the inside, there's a desire. There's a red hot fresh desire. Oh, you don't have to tell them to go to the prayer room. You don't have to say, come on, let's worship God. Come on, let's praise Him. You have to tell them, quit running the aisles so much. You have to tell them to sit down. It's time for preaching. Because it's on the inside. You can read it for yourself. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. You can read it sometimes. Verse 1 through 5. Solomon relates how a person grows old. Talks about the windows growing dark, the eyes. The grinder ceasing, that's your teeth. How an old person They are afraid of the tweeting of a bird. And this is what he says. And desire faileth. Go to an old folks home and you'll find one of the worst things that nurses and doctors will tell you is when the old folks say, I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat anything. I have, they have no desire to eat When desire fails, the next thing is death takes over. It's the same thing that happens in a church. Well, pastor, I just don't feel like praying. Got to pump and pry to get them to raise their hands. To come to the altar and pray with seekers. Desire is gone. That happens right before somebody dies. By the way, somebody said, Christians are like cars. They usually start missing before they quit altogether. And folks, when you don't have a desire to go to church, something's bad wrong. That says it's a it's time for a fresh revival. It's time to get back to a fresh experience with God where you weep your way back to the presence of God and desire is born on the inside. And not just desire vehement 
desire. It applies to evangelism. When you get a fresh revival breaking out in your life, nobody has to tell you to tell somebody they're going to hell. Nobody has to tell you to care about the lost. There's something inside of you that just said, I don't want anybody to go to hell. Vehement desire. Now, once a year, I usually get a checkup, a physical checkup. And you know, the old doctor checks me out. And usually what he does, one of the things he does, he makes me sit on that funny-looking table. And don't worry, I'm not going to go too far with this. He takes that little thing, looks like a little rubber mallet, and he pops me under the knee, kneecap. And usually I give him a kick in the britches without trying. You know why? He's checking to see my reflexes, my responses. And if they're weak, he knows there's something bad wrong. And when you can have church and the leader says, let's worship, and you don't feel like worshiping, and when the pastor calls prayer meeting and you don't feel like going to prayer meeting. And when it's church time and you just want to rest. Eh, let me tell you, it's time for a fresh revival of Holy Ghost desire to get back to praying and worshiping and serving God with all of your heart. The next spirit as I quickly... Try to wrap this up is zeal. Zeal. All that is is animated energy. Earnest expression of desire. While desire is something emotional, zeal is something physical. It's, it's all about action. People say, well, Pastor, I really love God way down deep inside. Did you know in the Old Testament there's seven words for worship and not a one of them have to do with being silent or still? If you're going to worship God, honey, and I say it respectfully, you better get to moving and you better get to saying something. That's the only way you can really worship Him. Somebody said, you Pentecostals, y'all must think God is deaf. I mean, you scream, you holler, you must think God's deaf. No, but he's not nervous either. He said, make a loud noise. He said, make a joyful noise. God's all about it. But zeal is what we do. Zeal is what we say. Zeal is how we act. I, I told you about Brother Morton preaching in our home church. And I can't do it like him, so I'm not even going to try. But he preached about Jehu. Man, he had some chairs lined up like his chariot, and he whipped off his belt, I think, and that was his whip. But I want to tell you a little bit about Jehu. When God got ready to bring a revival to Israel, he found a man who knew how to act with action, who knew how to move with zeal. And when he got anointed and started to ward the two kings that God ordained him to fight against, 
They sent somebody out and say, are you coming in peace? And they never returned. Happened again. Finally, the guy watching on the wall, looking at the army coming, he's, he said, as we're, wait a minute, I think I know who that guy is. Uh, that must be Jehu. For he, the son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. My Bible said in its little cross-reference area, Furiously means like a madman. You know what? That means like a crazy man. That means like somebody in the insane asylum. Froth coming out the mouth. A grimace on his face. Screaming at the horses. Come on, you're going too slow. We gotta get and do God's work. Well, pastor, I don't think you need to get it. Hey, God knows more than you do. He's looking for people to get excited. He's looking for people to move. He's looking for people to get some zeal in their life. And he he's like a madman, they say. It's got, you know, he had already made a reputation for himself. And then when he comes to where the king is that God ordained him to slay, the Bible said he took his bow, and you can read it. And the Bible said he drew it with his full strength. Not half of his strength. Not two-thirds of his strength. But with all of his strength. Not only did he drive furiously and screaming and hollering, frothing at the mouth, but when he pulled his air, bow out back and put the arrow in it, he pulled it back till the bow began to scream, please let me go. When that arrow flew out, it hit the king who had turned around, hit him in the back, flew all the way out of his heart and kept on sailing. That wasn't enough. In 2 Kings 9, that's what's recorded, but in 2 Kings 10, verse 16, he finds a friend. He says, is your heart right with me as mine is with you? He says, yes. And he grabbed him by the hand. And he said, well, come see my zeal for the Lord. Now, I don't want to overdo it with this, but it appears to me, if your heart is right, there's zeal that comes along with it. If your heart is right, come on and get up here with me and see the zeal I have for the Lord. Don't sit back. Hey, when your pastor says, it's time to pray, it's time to worship, it's time to reach the lost, it's time to put your hand in his hand and say it's revival time. Oh, let's clap our hands to Jesus right now. God, I want to have the zeal of the Holy Ghost. Now, I got to close. I got to close. But let me close telling you about the last spirit. This one I really struggle with. It don't sound like a spirit of revival. The spirit of revenge. You know, we think of revenge as getting 
back at somebody. And that's exactly what it is. I've studied it out in the Greek. By the way, can I just tell you something? Can I just tell you something? What it says in the English is what it said in the Greek. I got three degrees. I'm not bragging. I got three degrees. And I found that out. Quit trying to figure out more than's there. It's there for you to read it and get it. And I'm big on the King James Version. I mean, you can get saved with the other ones, but they weaken a lot of the other areas. This ain't in my notes, but can I tell you, there's a difference in immorality and fornication. Everybody knows what fornication is. But immorality is up for grabs. If you, took a, if you took a survey today, most college students would tell you they don't think it's wrong to have sex with somebody, and pardon my use of that term, that it's not wrong for them to do that as long as they love them. So they read those translations that say immorality and they don't feel any conviction. But when you read one that says fornication and you know what that is, that's any sexual activity outside of marriage, then you know what's right and what's wrong. Hey, let's just stick with the old black-covered book called the Bible and let's leave it alone. The man said don't change it, just leave it alone. Thank you, Brother Jackson. We need to keep singing that song. But I'm preaching about the spirit of revenge. And, and for me, that's kind of different. You know, you think of revival as being sweet and kind and nice. But Paul said, when this church repented, he said, Oh, what carefulness it wrought in you! Yea, what clearing of yourselves! Yea, what indignation! What fear! What vehement desire! What zeal! Yea, what revenge! Revenge is getting back at somebody or something. Revenge is making somebody pay for what they did. Paul said, when you had that fresh experience, when you wept your way back to God, something happened inside of you and a spirit of revenge got inside of you and you started living a different way and you started uh, making up your mind. You're going to make the devil pay. You're going to make the world pay. You're going to make your flesh pay for all the mess and trouble that it caused you. I don't mean to lick a candy stick here, but I'm going to tell you. On my Wednesday night service, I'm pretty short. My pastor was usually just getting started at 9 o'clock. We have songs, we have worship, I teach or preach. Sometimes 8.45, we're done. Sometimes I get long-winded and it's longer than that. But you know what? 
I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying on Wednesday night, we just come, have concentrated church, and I teach and preach, usually teach, and I let the people go. But you know what? People start getting spoiled. Start becoming Pentecostal clock watchers. Pastor, look back at the clock. It ought to be against the Word of God to have a clock in a church. Praise God. No, I'm kidding. I'm not telling God what to do. But I want to tell you something. People that stayed up all night, 2 o'clock in the morning dancing and juking and jiving, all of a sudden they get in church for a few years and, oh, i got to put the kids to bed. And, and oh, they're going to make bad grades. So they make good grades uh, and you lose them to the devil anyway. If I had to choose between them being saved and dumb uh, or being smart and lost, uh, I'd choose the first. Hey, what I'm trying to tell you is when you live for the devil, you went crazy. All of a sudden you start living for God and you start wanting to be polite and nice. Uh, what God's trying to say is when there's a real revival, something stops wells up in you and says I'm paying you back devil I live for the devil like crazy and don't you know I'm going to live for God just that hard if I screamed and hollered at the ball game I'm going to scream and holler at church hey the, the Seattle Seahawks have now the world record for the loudest decibels over a stinking piece of pigskin. Would to God in Fresno, California, we'd break the record. Would to God somebody'd say, I got more to shout about, I got more to get excited about than the Seattle Seahawks. Somebody ought to take revenge on the devil. Revenge on that spirit that says, be nice, be polite, be quiet. Oh, let's worship God right now. Let's worship God right now. Come on, let's give him some praise. Come on, let's let this house ring with the praise of God. Oh, clap your hands, all you people, and somebody shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Devil, we get more excited about God than your crowd gets excited about the world. somebody here today that feels like giving God some praise hey why don't you just gather around the front I'm about to close come on in I won't hold you much longer let's just gather in and end this thing as you're coming I want you to listen then we're going to give God praise
I guess 15 years ago, I was preaching in Corcoran, California for Brother Hale. Sunday night after church, his wife was getting something and he was in the back room. She was making us a snack and my wife was in there helping her. I was in the living room and I picked up the Fresno Bee. And as I flipped through it, I came across an article by the Associated Press. And as I read the article, I was amazed. The article said there was a woman, 74 I believe it was, in Jacksonville, Florida. She had a little pet, a Westie, Westshire Terrier, little white dog. She was walking her dog down her street in her neighborhood when out of nowhere came a pit bull, a huge pit bull. And it attacked her little dog and she said it clamped down over its entire head, had its entire head in its mouth. And she said, I could see through the white fur that the skin on my dog was turning blue. The pit bull was suffocating it. And she said, I don't know what it was that got a hold of me. But she said, I got down on all fours and I bit that pit bull on the back of the neck as hard as I could. And she said, surprisingly, it let go. And that should have been the end. But she said, I don't know what it was that made me do it. But I, just for good measure, I reached back down there and bit that dog again. She said, about that time, here come a boy from the neighborhood with a ball bat. And he started beating that dog back to its house. She said, we took my little dog to the vet. The vet had to do surgery. Stitched him up. But he said... The article said she salvaged her sweet little dog. Folks, that's revenge. The devil's had some of you by the head locking down on you. The devil's had some of your kids and locking down. The devil said, I'm going to destroy them. And you sit there politely. Where's the man or woman said, devil, I may go down, but I'm going to go down biting and clawing and scratching. Hey, let's get a spirit of revenge. It's revival time. It's prayer time. It's worship time. Would you lift your hands and let's ask God to help us have Holy Ghost revival.